0: Okay, what we're gonna do, just closing things out, uh, first of all, John, thank you very much. And he wasn't the only one who helped, so thanks for serving and helping him and supporting him. It was a good men's retreat, my favorite men's retreat, perhaps, so thankful for that. Thankful that you guys came. Um, important issues to talk about, good fellowship together. It's good. Okay. What I want to do, I change gears a little bit. I want to talk about the history of things just a little bit, um, and how to read the law and how to read the gospel and learn from some others who've gone before us. Uh, it's important because in the Bible laws use different ways. Okay. And we don't want to be the kinds of people who say we have to reinvent the wheel all the time and we can't learn from anybody else. Um, that wouldn't be helpful. Uh, so how have believers, uh, talked about these things, who've gone before us, is what I want to talk about a little bit. That doesn't mean they're right. We should examine what they say in light of scripture, but it would be good to learn from other people um, because a lot of mistakes um, don't need to be made because they've already been made. Okay, so I want to kind of start there. Bad things end up happening when we act like that, Um, really bad things, uh, and we just don't have to go there, so let's not go there. Believers have talked about, when they've tried to look at all the data, they've talked about three uses of the law. Okay? This is a, this is a Reformation kind of thing, a Protestant kind of thing. Since the Bible uses law in different ways, they talk about three uses of the law. Okay? One would be the law in God's hand to show us our guilt, right? The crushing power of the law. You're supposed to love God and keep His commandments, and you don't. You need Jesus. We've talked a lot about that first use, okay? But the law is also used, um, believers have talked about it in relationship to Israel as a nation and governing Israel. You'd read about the the, the law and the law of Moses and things that are very national specific, okay? And since we're not a holy nation, the church is made up of all nations uh, as the body of Christ, those things wouldn't apply to us, okay? doesn't mean we can't learn from them, um, but they're not directly applicable to us, Okay? There needs to be a category for that. Sometimes the Bible, when it talks about law, it means that the third use of the law would be, um, guiding the believer. Okay. You've been crushed. You've seen your need for Christ by God's sovereign grace. You've trusted in Christ. And now the law isn't there to slay you anymore. It's there as a light unto your feet. Okay. It's there to guide you. It is there to instruct you. Uh, and those are all the commands of the Bible, no longer against you. Um, they're, they're welcome guides. They're, they're the fruit of the Spirit, new life in Christ, because of your union with Christ. That would be third use of the law. We haven't talked a lot about that. It's important, okay? It actually is really important. But we just need to know what we're talking about, okay? Does that make any sense? Now, we have to acknowledge that's, that's man-made. That's a man-made formulation, and therefore it's of the devil. no. <laughs> But believers have tried to come up with a way to talk about this where we can cut to the chase or we can take all of the data into consideration like we would with the Trinity. We just say Trinity and we don't have to go through all the ins and outs of one eternal God who's always been God, always will be God, eternally God, who has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons of the divine Godhead, and we just say Trinity. So sometimes in conversation, if we talk about this kind of stuff very much, Brian and I could be talking about third use. We just cut to the J, third use of the law, right? It's just, it's a shorthand way of explaining that's for the believer as a guide. It's positive. It's not against us. Make sense? I think it's helpful uh, at least to say, oh, there are categories for these things, okay? Uh, And if you say a command, it doesn't mean it's bad, that's legalism, you're teaching justification by works. No, if you approach it that way, that is bad. But if you're approaching it as this is for me as a believer to show me what I'm supposed to do because it's good because God is worthy to be treated like he's God and I'm thankful that he's made my eyes open through Christ, I, I want to do the right thing. I'm going to read the Proverbs and not be a legalist but say there are all these commands in here. These are good. These are good for me but if you follow those commands or you try to somehow to earn the favor of God, you've got a problem. You confuse first use with third use and you have a gospel. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Another categorization and let's not confuse these, even though there's a little bit of overlap. Sometimes people have tried to look at the old Testament and look at the law and they've said, how do we parse this? How, How do we sort this out? So some believers who Have gone before us have said there's a civil use a ceremonial use and a moral use okay of the law civil again national israel civil use ceremonial levitical sacrifices that's part of god's law you've got to kill these animals right moral use okay it's it's it would be more universally applicable Okay? You don't have to be national Israel. You see something that's true of God in the Old Testament, and it, and it would relate to you, and it's not having to do with ceremony. It's not having to do with nation. And you go, oh, that's applicable to me. Um, don't murder. That's applicable to you, right? That's an easy one. Don't murder. That's from the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament also, but it's from the Old Testament, and you might say, oh, that's, that's part of the moral law. Well, you can get into huge debates about this, and it's all, it's all a package, and you can't parse it like that, and you can't divide it like that. I'm not trying to settle those issues right now. Um, but we do know that there's repetition in the New, okay? And sometimes people, believers of all different backgrounds, have um, used the designation Law of Christ, okay? Because that's used by Paul in the New Testament. That's another good way, by by the way, um, theologians who've gone before us, uh, have talked about that. That's, that's the third use of the law. It's the moral law or excuse me. It's, it's the, it's the law of Christ. See, it's now no longer what crushes us is what guides us because we're in Christ. I don't want to add to the confusion, but just these are ways people have tried to sort some of the data out. Okay. The same words in the Bible are used different ways in different contexts. And so if you only study the Bible with word studies, you're probably going to be a cult leader. Okay? I mean, you just probably are. Word studies are important because every word is important. But we use the same words differently sometimes in different contexts. And so, again, just take the Bible seriously. Take every word seriously. But context, context, context is super important. Believers who've tried to pay attention to context and help other believers like us have said it's helpful if you see there are three uses of the law. You'll keep your sanity and you'll 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 not deny justification by grace alone and through faith alone. So I hope that helps. Um, just more things to think about. OK, now what I want to do historically also, this is before the quiz. So I hope you guys are prepping. I hope you have number two pencils. <laughs> With a quiz. I on a whim, I thought this would be helpful because of all these questions um, that have come up in dialogue. I'm going to read chapter 19 from the London Baptist Confession. okay? I'm just going to read it. I mean, and I'm going to maybe make some comments. but here's a good example of believers who've gone before us, who've tried to sort the stuff out. okay uh, This is not the ultimate authority by any means. This sounds just like the Westminster Confession. Generally speaking, the Presbyterian version, but again, context here coming out of Roman Catholicism, new reformation, reformation has happened and we've got to help our people. Okay. Pastors, men like you and like me, how do we help people sort this out and think this through? Okay. We don't want them to act crazy. We don't want them to to not do what's right. They need to do what's right, but we don't want them to get confused by Rome and think it's faith and works leads to justification. So this is helpful. I wish someone would have told me to read this a long time ago, to be real honest. So listen to this. God gave to Adam a law of universal obedience written in his heart and a particular precept of not eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. By which he bound him and all his posterity, all who he represented to personal, entire, exact and perpetual obedience. Promised life upon fulfill on the fulfilling and threatened death upon the breach of it and endued him with power and ability to keep it. Okay. I'll sign up for that. Pretty straightforward. Point number two, the same law that was first written in the heart of man, that would be a Romans two kind of thing, continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness after the fall, right? In principle, it stays there and was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai. That would, that would be an, 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 a written out version that would essentially capture the idea. In the Ten Commandments and written in two tables, the first four containing our duty toward God and the other six our duty to man. Okay, law, law. Third point, besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws. Seeing a distinction, not blurring it all together containing several typical ordinances partly of worship prefiguring Christ his grace's his actions sufferings and benefits and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties all of all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of redemption are by Jesus Christ the true messiah and only lawgiver who was furnished with power from the father for that end abrogated and taken away that's a mouthful you tell this is written in the 1600s Temporary, the ceremonial, worshipful, but it's looking forward to Christ. It's not going to be the end substance. That would be very Hebrews esque. Next point, four. To them also he gave. Sundry, various judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution, their general equity only being of modern use, national israel laws aren 't for us because we 're not a holy nation we 're different. It sounds like what I believe. Five, there's seven of these. Five, the moral law does forever bind all as well justified persons as others to the obedience thereof. And that not only in regard of the matter contained in it, but also in respect of the authority of God, the creator who gave it. Neither does Christ in the gospel any way dissolve, but much strengthen this obligation. He's trying to be careful to say this doesn't go away. It's still there. It's still real, even though we're not justified by law-keeping. Still good, real, and right. Next. This is a long one. Although true believers are not under the law as a covenant of works, to be thereby justified or condemned. Thank you. Yet it is of great use to them as well as to others in that as a rule of life, informing them of the will of God and their duty. It directs and binds them to walk accordingly, uh, discovering also the sinful pollutions of their natures, hearts and lives. So as examining themselves thereby, they may come to further conviction of humiliation for and hatred against sin. The moral law still has that kind of ministry in my life, even as a justified person. Together with a clearer sight of the need they have of Christ and the perfection of his obedience, it is likewise of use to the regenerate to restrain their corruptions in that it forbids sin and the threatenings of it serve to show that even their sin deserve. And what affliction it, what affliction in this life they may expect for them? There could be discipline, I think, is what he's, what they're getting at. Although freed from the curse and unallied rigor thereof, don't know what that means, but I don't think I need to. Okay, next st- statement: the promise, the promises of it, likewise show them God's approbation of obedience, and what blessings they may expect upon the performance thereof. Though not as due to them by the law as a covenant of works. So as man's doing good and refraining from evil because the law encourages to the one and deters from the other is no evidence of his being under the law and not under grace. Well, that's a whole lot to be, to be said. I'm not going to try to put it in my own words. What I'm trying to illustrate, though, one final point is that they're, they're trying to take into account the whole And without dumbing it down, make it as simple as possible. Is what they're trying to do. I'm going to suggest to you they're trying to acknowledge three uses of the law. That would be the dumbed down kind of version. Finally, neither are the aforementioned uses of the law contrary to the grace of the gospel, but do sweetly comply with it. The Spirit of Christ subduing and enabling the will of man... To do that freely and cheerfully which the will of God revealed in the law requires to be done. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's right. We've been talking about that. The spirit born, spirit produced, spirit wrought, desire to obey, fruit of the spirit. That's good and that's right. And actually that's connected to the law. Okay. Again, that's not our ultimate authority. Okay. But believers who are very like-minded on the gospel are trying to help us and say, here's a tool that will help you and guide you. I think that's helpful, and we should welcome that sort of thing. Instead of just saying, all right, let's go for it. Lock me up in a room, and I'm going to come up with a new way of explaining this and putting it in my own words. I'm like, man, what? What happens usually is not a good thing. Okay, enough of that. I'm going to be done. Quiz time? All right, quiz time. This is the best part. As soon as I can pull up the file, it'll be the best part. True or false? Here we go. God requires absolute obedience. True. Right? If you're married... I hope you can talk to your wife about these things when you go home and not communicate the gospel. Okay. God requires perfect obedience. It's absolutely true. If he didn't require absolute obedience, he wouldn't be righteous. He wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be worthy of worship. He requires absolute perfect obedience. Okay. Law. He is altogether righteous. He's a righteous judge. Psalm 711, easy one to remember. I love 711s. <laughs> Psalm 711, he is a righteous judge. He's a fair judge. He requires perfection. Number two, question number two love is the essence of the law. It's true. Love is the essence of the law. You want to boil it all down based upon the authority of Jesus? It's love God. Is that good? That's super good. It's right. And if you do it, it'll be good for you. It'll be the best thing ever. You'll be more fulfilled than you could ever possibly be, right? Let's not think of God's law as negative. I mean, if you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will have your best life now. <laughs> right? you, you, it, everything will be awesome. So law is not bad. Law is good. You're just You're in touch with reality. He's really God. You're really not. Keep that straight in your head, and you will have an awesome life. So, we have to remember that. So, again, we think of law as negative. No, that's because of our sin. It's not negative at all. Love is the essence of the law. So, when you hear someone say, We're not into law, we're just into love, you're going to be like, I'm not intoxicated, right? Because they're saying the same thing. Or, I remember writing. This is a controversial one. I'm riding my, my bike next to it, uh, by a cool looking church in Orlando, Florida, outside of Orlando. Having a great bike ride, see this cool church, and the theme of the church, they've got, you know, imprinted on the side of the cool looking building, and it says, loving God and loving neighbor. Good idea or bad idea? It's kind of a trick question, right? Yeah. I'm giving you a false choice. Because in in one sense, it couldn't be more right. Because, I mean, there's nothing more right on planet Earth. I mean, it couldn't be better and more awesome. Yeah, everybody should do that. Now it gets more complicated when you say, okay, so the the theme of our church is law. Well, That goes to Brian saying, that's bad, right? Our mission is law. You want to summarize our church? It's law. We're the law church. (laughs) Right? Now, we do want to preach law. We have to preach law because if we don't preach law, then sin doesn't make any sense because sin is lawlessness. So we have to preach it in its full force. So it's kind of good. I kind of like law church. (laughs) But the Great Commission, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why Christians have adopted a cross instead of two tablets, right? When you walk into Omaha Bible Church, there should be a cross up front if anything's up front, not two not two stone tablets. And you go, cause that just tells everybody they're going to hell. It's good. <laughs> God's law is good. <laughs> you see why it's kind of a complicated issue. I remember at a men's breakfast, there was a visitor. He doesn't, he never came back. No, there was a guy visiting and, and he said, I I was getting to know him. He knows actually some members of the church and, um, some of you guys, as a matter of fact, and he was super nice and I didn't really know him and we were talking and, and I said, so you know, what's going on? What's on your mind and what are you into? That kind of thing. And he said, you know, I've just figured out more and more. It comes down to one thing. I said, Oh yeah. He said, love God and love your neighbor. And in an immature way, you know, I'm all excited about such things. I said, oh, you're into the law, huh? He said, what? (laughs) My people skills weren't so good. (laughs) He's like, what do you mean? It's the greatest commandment. I said, yeah, and Jesus says that's the summation of the law, so you're really into the law. He He didn't know what to do. It's like he saw a ghost. Now, he should be really into the law, right? Because out of gratitude, new heart, regenerate heart, united to Christ, I'm really into the law. God, tell me what to do. I know it's good, and it honors you, and it's good for me. We should be really into the law. Zealous for good deeds, it says in Titus. But if we mean, right? You see, this, this is an important issue. What do you mean? What do you mean? Okay, We want to make sure that we understand the law, but we want to make sure that really our identity is tied to Christ and, and his work and the gospel, the good news that comes to us freely that cost him greatly. Isn't this, isn't, it's, a, it's a cool topic, isn't it? Because it's, it's not hard to understand, but you've got to be careful, right? You just need to be careful about how you think about it. Okay, next one. Justification, is, this is number three, justification is by faithfulness. Ha, <laughs> ha, I love quizzes, right? It's, first and foremost, I like most of you guys best who say false. <laughs> it's not by our faithfulness, right? Justification is by faith and only by faith in Christ. Read Romans, read Galatians, read Genesis. It's by faith, not faithfulness. It's true. It's his faithfulness, right? His obedience. That's absolutely true. But it's not by our faithfulness. And a lot of people think that faith in the Bible, even as always, is somehow a virtue. And first and foremost, faith is not a virtue. It's used that way. But not most of the time. Faith is... Resting in Christ, trusting in Christ. In that sense, it's passive. Oh, it's active. You do have to believe, but it's not a work. It's it's you're resting in what He's done. So it's usually when we hear about faithfulness, it's 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 a wrong understanding. Make sense? Okay. Next one. Four. Obedience to the law is the fruit of faith. I'm not trying to trick you on that one. Okay? Saving faith is what I mean. Obedience to the law is the fruit of that. That comes as a result. That's what the new heart desires, and we want to do the right thing. But it is the result, right? It's not the driver. It comes after, it comes as a fruit of it. Five, the believer's final justification will be by their works. It's false. It's super duper duper false but it's just what you hear more and more of, uh, that final justification is based upon our works. And it's nuanced and argued in different ways, some more complicated than other ways, some more acceptable, even if I disagree, some more acceptable than other ways. But it's the hot way of talking these days in evangelicalism. Um, and final justification is somehow by our works. And then they want to say, but it's not our works on their own, it's the works that come as a result of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, that's better than not saying that. But it's still problematic. That still is Roman Catholicism. God does something and then you cooperate and then God justifies you. For me, if you say justification and obedience that's anyone other than Christ's obedience, it's red flag. It's 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 trouble. It's problem. Just be on the lookout. Um, for that sort of thing. Okay, next one. Six legalism. Oh, we, you should know this. Uh, Sorry, I'm like we already talked about this, but of course we did. Legalism will result when the law is not clearly understood and upheld. Yeah, I think it's true generally to say will result. um, Maybe I said it too strongly there's a good possibility we're going to become legalists if we don't emphasize the law and the gospel. Um, Because we're going to do the do more, try harder um, in the bad sense. I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, lots of sermons I've preached. (laughs) Just commands, commands, commands. And I wasn't thinking of them as laws. I just was thinking of them as ways to express love for God. Laws. Just call them what they are, right? How about this? If I preach a sermon tomorrow and it's all commands, could it be a legitimate sermon? Well, I think it could be. But let's just make sure we know it's law. And I think I probably should say something about Jesus keeping the law, too, because I am a Christian, and I would want to cre- preach a Christian sermon. Um, but you get the idea. Um, the weekend is not to get us to be law haters. Uh-uh. Law is good. We need the law in two of its uses since we're not national Israel. Okay, next one. Seven, the law is good. true, true right? Good, righteous, and holy. Paul would have us to know in 1 Timothy. Eight, justification can only come by perfect law-keeping. Justification can only come through perfect law-keeping. It is absolutely to the bone true. There can be no justification apart from law-keeping. Notice I didn't say yours. Okay. But you will never, ever, ever, ever be justified if the law hasn't been perfectly upheld by Jesus. Okay? But he really did do that. He needs to do that or there's no such thing as justification for sinners. See, and here's the practicality of that. Jesus is even better than you thought he was. If you like Jesus... I just want you to know he's better than you even thought. Unless you had all the stuff ironed out. He's better than I thought he was. He had to do all the right things on my behalf to fulfill the law for God to declare me a lawkeeper. I mean, for a long time, I thought Jesus just took away my guilt. Don't get me wrong. I got a lot of guilt. (laughs) It's crucial that he does that. It's crucial that we have atonement. Removal of guilt. But if that's all we have, we have zero. Okay. Now, now we're, now we're, now we're zeros. We don't have any debt, but we have nothing in the bank. Okay. Spiritually, we're zeros. Well, God is not going to justify zeros and say, you're righteous based upon nothing other than the fact you have zero guilt. No, 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 no. Because of what Jesus does in his atoning sacrifice to get rid of the guilt and in what he does, if you can look at it this way, you probably shouldn't divide it, but just for observation, you look at what he does as far as positively in fulfilling all righteousness, God doesn't look at you as a zero. God looks at you as a perfect law keeper, perfectly righteous, because Jesus is that very thing. You're rich in righteousness. Perfect righteousness. That's what I mean when I say Jesus is better than I even thought he was. And you say, practicality? Yeah, practicality starts with he's better than I thought he was, and it changes everything. And now you want to talk about kickstarting gratitude, <laughs> if you will, and motivating me? Wow. It's awesome. I'd like to preach about that someday. Uh, next. Nine. How many are these? I have ten. Nine. The law is a guide unto our path. Yeah, that's good. I would reference Psalm 119. That's Psalm 105. He says it's a, his word is a light unto our path, a guide unto our path. But in Psalm 119, he uses word and law synonymously. It's his directive. It's his guidance. It's his instruction. It's his law. Oh, it's so good to not walk around outside stumbling over things because you don't know where you're going because you have no direction. I got a flashlight, man. I can do it. I'm not going to break my ankle. God's law shows us where to go. It's good. It's wonderful. It's a guide. And it's not against me anymore. It's for me. Finally, the law is utterly and entirely distinct from the gospel. I think I would say true, mainly because Matt Holloway thought did, so I thought, <laughs> and where two or three are gap, no, that's it, <laughs> wrong use of that verse. <laughs> the gospel, the law is utterly and entirely distinct from the gospel. First, first blush, I'm going to say that's true, but they're related, right? The good news of what Jesus has done, well, what has he done? Well, among other things, he has fulfilled the law. (laughs) And therefore, it comes to me as gospel. Isn't the law part of of Scripture? Yeah, it's part of Scripture. And so it's good, but it damns us. Right? Because it shows us our guilt. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we didn't have that to know we're guilty, we wouldn't see our need for the gospel. Right? For for the good guy that it is. Yep. But we just want to keep things in their right perspective, right? The gospel is distinct because it's not by what we do in our obedience to the law. We can't anyway because of our sin. So in that sense, let's keep them. Does that make sense? Keep them distinct. But they are related and they're both, both, both necessary. Could you explain for those of you, and, and not everybody is, but for those of you who are married, can you explain this to your wife? What we talked about in pretty simple terms, God, the law is good, requires absolute perfection. Nobody will get to heaven apart from perfect law keeping. That's why we need Jesus, because that's what he did, right? You can start with Matthew five. If you needed a passage to go to or Matthew three, and Jesus did this for us. And yet we want to do the right thing out of gratitude. We should, we should be able to do that or with our kids if we have kids or friends if we don't have kids or wives we want to keep it that simple here's a great quote and we'll end on this this is a quote from a guy named Samuel Bolton um, writing probably 400, 400 years ago and the little book is called The True Bounds of Christian Freedom the law sends us to the gospel. Oh, John, this goes to your point. This is good. The law sends us to the gospel that we may be justified. Yes. And the gospel sends us to the law again to inquire what is our duty as those who are justified. The law sends us to the gospel for our justification. The gospel sends us to the law to frame our way of life. Simple, basic, positive. Any final questions? Yeah, Chris. They are ethically, how are we respond to that? Pastor, to confront that, and you're part of the church, how do we deal with that? How would you deal with that? Stop singing. Have One thing would be, in light of what we've talked about this weekend, um, I do need to remember that my relationship to God is based on gospel. Right, and if they're believers, their relationship is with God is based upon gospel, and so I do need to to try to have my relationship with them be be gospel flavored. Um, God has been patient with me, uh, so I want to be patient with them. Um, I, w- I want to do that first and try to have that mindset. It's, it's pretty radical to think in terms of. No one in this room or outside of this room who's truly a believer will someday be more glorified than others. Right? We're, we're going to be equal brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us have got a lot more work to do than others. No, <laughs> I, I, I need to try to see them through the lens of Christ's righteousness, even if they themselves don't know what they believe about Christ's righteousness. I mean, it will, it will have an impact on that. I'm not saying I'm good at that. You want to help them? Sometimes that means admonishing. Sometimes it means patience. Um, it's complicated. Um, it's a hard one. But I'm, I'm so glad, Chris, that, that God has just been patient with me. You know, I'm all excited about this kind of stuff. Um, in part because of the controversies and part because of personal studies, growth, you know. So I want to give other people some room and some time. Um, also. But, you know, it's the same kind of thing, too. I I don't want to... I want people to grow up. Right? It's not good to live in your parents' basement your whole life. I mean, you you want people to grow up, so I don't want to give them the silent treatment and never talk to them. Pray that God's Word works and the Spirit works and the believers together work. Good question. Appreciate it. Well, anything else? I hope you're at least like one one hundred hundredth as enthusiastic, I guess, about these kinds of things as I am. Um, Just vital gospel-related, sanctification-related, church health, church mission. Ministry to kids, ministry to homeless people, impacting. I mean, you, you name it. It's, it. It relates to it. How you read your Bible, how, how, how your friends read their Bibles. We can help. Um, all right, I'll pray. Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for encouragement. Um, thank you for your word and your spirit of the risen Christ the interceding Christ who is there for us. Thank you that his work is complete. Thank you for the, the, the powerful spirit of Christ that you've given to us, that as your word says, you've caused us to be born again to a living hope so that we might know these things, so that we might have an assurance. Um, as we go, help us to relate to people in light of how you've related to us. Gracious, merciful, kind, and patient. In Jesus' name, amen.